Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Brought to you by Great Clips. Hey everyone, it's Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide resources for veterans and their family members who may be struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Be sure to check out our TV show, Operation Healing Heroes, on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Join me today as we talk to Domingo Martinez, a United States Army veteran who served in Vietnam. Domingo's story starts at a very young age. He was raised by his grandparents, battled homelessness and alcoholism, and even went through electroconvulsive therapy for his depression. Domingo still struggles today, but he's making strides to help his mental health. Join me as we share an incredible story of hurt, healing, and hope. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Hey, Domingo. Uh, welcome to the show, buddy. I know you and I have been talking about doing this for a while, and I'm honored and privileged to have you on this show. So thank you for taking your time. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, I know you have an incredible story um, and a, a lot of information to share with our listeners. And so I want to uh, I want to just kind of give our, our listeners a quick overview. Um, I know that you were in the army from 1972 to 1981. Uh, you served in Vietnam. Yeah. You also served in the DMZ, the de, uh, demilitarized zone uh, near Korea with the second infantry division as a patrol leader for 13 months. I want to talk about that. But before we get into all of the um, your time in service, uh, I, I always like to start with, uh, give us an, an idea of what life was like growing up, because I know you had a very interesting childhood. Yeah, it it was very interesting. It was uh, a little difficult at times, but uh, my parents were very young when uh, my mom uh, became pregnant, and uh, her parents didn't want her to to have this child, which was me, and uh, uh, or else she would pretty much be disowned. And and this is back in the early fifties, and. Uh, well, when I was, they went ahead and, and she had me, and and uh, at the hospital they turned they, my grandparents just took me home, and uh, what was so good about that, you know, like I didn't know until years later, but uh, you know there there was already thirteen people there, thirteen aunts and uncles, uh, you know, my grandparents are are, are they were illegal immigrants from Mexico. Uh, you know they they built the little home that we had. Uh, there was four is a four room house, and but but they made it work. And uh, what uh, 
the way life was there is that everybody pitched in. You know, uh, like I said, I was a baby of the family. I, I pretty much uh, was spoiled up until the time that uh, I realized, uh, you know, what was what life was like actually on an everyday basis. You know, my grandmother was this tiny woman who who worked very hard every morning. You know, she had to make all these lunches and breakfasts and my aunts would they would all be cooking in this tiny kitchen and and uh to get uh you know tacos and stuff ready for lunch for everybody that's going to work. My grandfather is a gigantic man and he was uh an oil field worker and uh you know he his crew was uh other immigrants and 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 of course uh his sons that were old enough to work at the time uh they were uh worked really hard but i think my grandmother worked harder than anybody you know she she cleaned house yeah she cleaned houses you know in between she did laundry of course with the help of my with my aunts they did laundry and they starched and iron clothes and they were charged by the piece you know to these uh white families across the tracks who literally did live on the other side of the tracks and uh you know she she cleaned the church there in town and i mean she was always working and never saw them sick never missed a day but when i was old enough to to see what was going on i think it was about i don't know the third or fourth grade you know uh uh i wanted to you know i was the street kid who just ran the streets, you know, pretty rampant, but we lived, which is, this is very important to me. Uh, the place where my grandfather uh, set us down was right dab in the middle of this black neighborhood, uh, about two houses away from three blocks of all these black beer joints. So there was a lot of violence that I witnessed at a young age, you know, and uh, it, it was no, uh, not, anybody's fault that was just where he thought it was best for us at the time and what he could afford but uh he was a very good provider as was everybody else and uh this was this was during the time of segregation where uh racism and prejudice was very very rampant and uh i grew up with that and that's i'm still guarded to this day you know like uh, who I get close to or who I allow to get close to me. And, you know, my world is very, very small to this day uh, because of that upbringing. You know, I know wow. times have changed. Times have changed, but, uh, you know, I've had, you know, situations here in Duluth uh, when I first moved here. You know, it, it was uh, something that, you know, that sent me back to those early days where, Somebody said something to the effect of, "Why don't you go back where you came from?" You know, hmm. and uh, and that's brought some memories back because I uh, I saw my grand, you know, my grandfather and my grandmother. They were like, you know, uh, shown racism and prejudice, and and I was old enough to where it bothered me, you know, to see them just take it. And they did, you know, they didn't fight back or anything. They just went along, you know, uh, their business and, and 
they just concentrated on family. You know, mm-hmm. the one thing we did have was everybody took care of each other. And, uh, you know, in our, in our house, it was all Spanish every day. Nobody spoke that much English. Uh, the, the aunts and uncles that were in school, of course, they were speaking English pretty good. Uh, for me, it was around the third grade that I kind of started picking it up really good. Uh, but I, through all the stuff that we went through uh, during that era, uh, I think I was very blessed to have them take me in and uh, raise me as their own. Um, wow. One thing that they taught us was that uh, everybody has to pitch in, you know, because we need to help. And uh, when I was about, I don't know, seven years old, seven, eight years old, you know, we'd go as a family on the weekends and uh, there's a, there was a small town, uh, it was, it was it was called Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Texas. And that's where the uh, the cotton crops were all and the cotton gins and all that. We'd go in this pickup truck and we'd pick, we'd pick cotton. And of course, you know, whatever you get, you know, they weigh it and you get half, credit for half of it. They give you a ticket and then you'd go and cash it in. But uh, we did that for a lot of years. Uh, we pick pecans in people's orchards. We go and and we put uh, these uh, sheets down around the uh, the trees, and we get these cane poles. And you know, my grandparents and aunts and uncles they would just knock the pecans off the trees, and and we'd have like uh, potato sacks or or, or even a, a a pillowcase. And for me, it was a pillowcase, and we'd fill them up with pecans. And again, when you go out, you, you would, uh, you know, he would, the owner would take half. And then we had one bus station in that little town where I was from. And at the bus station, they had a little area where you could go sell your pecans, you know, so they'd weigh them, they'd give you so much per pound. And so that's how we made extra money. Wow. And we did that for a lot of years. And that was just the way of life. Man. And I thought everybody did that, you know, and, uh, <laughs> Wow. I, I I really did. And uh, let me it, let me make sure I got this straight because I know you just told me a lot of information. But so you were you were born into a home that your grandfather and his sons built. Um, there were thirteen of you aunts and uncles. Yeah. Basically, it was your grandparents' kids, right? So your aunts and uncles, and yeah. they welcomed you because your parents couldn't take care of you. Um, so they welcomed you as one of their own, as far as a sibling goes. Um, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, and and uh, the story. You know, my I have uh, there's only two people left, uh, and one of them's uh, my father, and the other one is my aunt, and she's the oldest, and she's ninety, and she's gonna be ninety one, and she always tells the story, especially when I met my wife. She'll she'll tell them, you know, your husband slept with with mom and dad till he was thirteen years old. <laughs> I said, daughter, that's a lie. That's exaggerated. You know, but there wasn't any room. Yeah, and so as a baby, they I did sleep with them, and I I don't know how for how long, but I know I slept with them for a long time, and then I remember having this uh, this little cot or something that they put in the room for me as I became you know older. You wow. know, they just wasn't the room. Also, so did they have a bedroom for all the boys and a bedroom for all the girls? Is that how how that worked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you walk in the house, 
it was a it's a very small living area. So just enough a sitting area, just enough for my grandparents would have company that could sit and have coffee or or you know visit with somebody. And then the next room, there was no doors in the house. I mean, in the house. Uh, so the next opening, it was a room. And it was a bed, and uh, all the girls slept there. And then you go through another uh, door door frame, and there was a big bed in the middle room, and that was where my grandparents and I slept. And then the the last room was where the boys slept, all the boys. And then we had one bathroom. And then the kitchen, uh, it was a small kitchen, but the table that we had for everybody was like, it had uh, two chairs to it, which was for my grandfather and somebody else. And we all ate what we could, you know, we sat, sat down on the bed or just find a place to eat, you know, and wow. nobody ever complained or said anything like that. But, you know, we, my, my grandmother always made it fresh tortillas every morning and I mean that was hard work you know that was that was really hard but I uh I tell you what I I look back on those years and I uh was so happy that I did grow up there I did see some things that you know not all families are perfect there are times when times were uh difficult I saw you know uh some things that I wish I hadn't seen in the family. And, uh, and it, it just something that stuck with me, but, uh, uh, it made me a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned to be grateful for everything that I have. You know, I'm so grateful for the littlest things to this day. Uh, they, they gave me a, a, a chance at, at becoming, you know, the, uh, a good human being, they taught me to be, you know, respectful and to appreciate everything. But, you know, my grandfather and grandmother worked so hard that once a year, they would, uh, we lived about an hour from Houston, and there was a big Sears building there. And once a year, you know, my grandfather had saved, you know, you know as much money as he could, and, and he'd take everybody that, that he could, you know, and we'd go in this car to to Sears and he would buy us like school clothes and, and things like that. And, and he would, uh, uh, get a, uh, a saleswoman to go with the girls and, and help them. And he would pay for everything. And that once a year that we had to, we had to make it work. You know, we had, remember those jeans? I don't know if you remember those jeans that had the extra knee pad on it on the mm-hmm. inside. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's what we got, you know, and I didn't know anything about name brand clothes or anything like that. Even when I went to to uh, junior high and stuff, I was way behind at times and uh, I didn't even know it until people started pointing things out. You know, like, you know, kids can be cruel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have people, you know, that would want to come and play in my neighborhood because of where I lived. The only people that would come to our house were like cousins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I tell you, the hard part came when uh, I got to the eighth grade, I believe. And, uh, you know, my clothes, I, I thought I had good clothes. I had good clothes, but they just weren't for the time. Mm-hmm. 
and and I, I tell myself I was ahead of my time because I I had this really nice pair of blue pants that were kind of like a dress pants and a yellow shirt, and I thought that was my favorite clothes, and I I'd wear them, and every time I did, you know, they'd make fun of me. And then years later, you know, people are wearing stuff like that, you know. Like, <laughs> See, you're a trendsetter, Domingo. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I tell myself. I was way ahead of my time. <laughs> See, there you go. Well, wow, it yeah. sounds like, though, you know, yeah, you didn't know you were growing up poor, right? And and that being said, uh, mm. you worked your, your butt off uh, along with the rest of your family and what you lacked in money you made up in love. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds yeah. like... Not only your grandparents, yeah. but you know your siblings, aka your aunts and uncles, made up. Uh, you know what? What the yeah. deficiencies in love, and that's you can't you can't replace love, and you can't replace family. No, I tell you what, my grandmother and grandfather were they, they were everything to me, and I had aunts and uncles that mainly aunts that they had a hand in raising me. You know, they they really. I mean, they did everything for me. You know, they made sure that, uh, I mean, I would get in trouble in school. They'd have to go get me when I was in elementary, you know, and uh, mainly for for being mischievous or being, you know, uh, not talking, you know, English when I was supposed to. But you have to understand that back during, during those times, uh, you know, we had, uh, before I I was integrated in uh, with everybody, uh, all the races. You know, there was a school for blacks, one for Mexicans, one for whites, and wow. and, and and it was a, uh, it was a, uh, to me it was normal. But then we got to go with everybody, and that's when I started getting into trouble. You know, because I still spoke Spanish more than English, and uh, they they could only tolerate so much of me, and they would. They would call my grandmother, and my grandmother and aunt would walk to the school, you know, and come get me in the office, and they'd ask me, you know, what did you do, you know, in Spanish, and I tell them I didn't do anything, you know, <laughs> and and but you know they they always took my word, you know, uh, or they pretended to take my word because they knew I wasn't an angel, <clears throat> you know, I was pretty rough around the edges, but those edges got smoothed out. You know, by the time I got to the seventh and eighth grade, I was getting better. I was understanding things better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it was all—it was all very hard for me to look around and see how everything seemed to be easier for everybody. You know, back in those days, you know, when you're in, in the seventh, eighth grade, or even in high school, people go off campus to lunch. You know, to to get burgers and stuff, and I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know it was okay. I I uh, I still had my, you know I was happy. I still had my my beans and potatoes, you know, and tacos, and and that was good enough for me. But it seemed to be a problem for a lot of people. You know they had to have you know negative things to say about it. And to me, it was like they were attacking my family, and and that's when I started to act out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, sure. You're protecting then, what you love. That's for sure. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And uh, even up to the, I think it was around the 10th grade. I was already, I was still doing that. But, uh, I, my grand, my grandparents always, you know, told me just, you know, don't, 
not to be fighting so much about that. It's okay. You know, one day they'll realize that they were wrong. You know, they were good people. They never went to school. They, they were uneducated, but they did so well. You know, uh, I have an uncle, you know, that's passed long ago, but uh, he was, his last name was, uh, I mean, his name was Anastasio, like my grandfather, or, or they, Anastasio Martinez Jr., and, but they call him George. And uh, he did very well in school. He uh, he did real good. He did real good in sports. He had a, a really good friend uh, that was white, and uh, and he he'd hang around with the white kids when he was in high school, and they'd go to places to eat, and they would tell him that he has you know that my uncle would have to leave, but they would get up and all leave with him, so. They stayed close throughout the years, and uh, anyway, uh, one of the friends' name was J. Ray Gale, and he became a judge. And uh, and my uncle later on became a justice of the peace, hmm. you know. And he did very well for himself. He did, you know, he went to school and and he worked for Dow Chemical for many years, and uh, even got a ended up with an office on top of a bank building someplace, you know, Good for him. And, uh, yeah. And he was one of the few and the aunt that's living now, uh, like I said, she's 90. Uh, she worked as an elevator operator at the courthouse for 34 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was amazing in itself. And she, she, she tells me stories about, you know, people would, you know, still, Ask you know how did you get this job? You know what did you do for this job? And and she said I would just do my job and not pay attention. And she said every day she said I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the only job she had. Well, thirty years but, being uh, an elevator operator, she had to be damn good at what she did. That's for sure. You know what I mean? And they probably loved her. Yeah, she did. They did, and uh, that's the only job she ever had out of school and, and never did anything else other than, you know, the labor that we did. They had to do washing clothes for people and cleaning houses. And, and uh, at one time, there was, they, somebody put up right off the highway, Highway 35, uh, that was not that far from our house, about three or four blocks. They put up a chicken, like a, like a, in a chicken stand, you know, fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother even worked there, you know, wow. in between the other jobs. And she would bring home like the stuff that they would throw away, you know, because at that, in those days, they, they didn't want the chicken necks or the wings or anything like that. And she would bring all that home, you know, because that was throwaway stuff. And we'd eat that, mm-hmm. you know, and now, you know, chicken wings are pretty expensive, mm-hmm. you know, so, but, uh, I still love Mexican food. I don't. I don't get it uh, like I like it here in Duluth. It's just. I mean, we just don't have it. I go to to the cities uh, when I really need a fix. I go to the cities to Cesar Chavez way, and hmm. there's some uh, Mexican restaurants in there. And I have. Uh, it's called Menudo's Tripe, and uh, I love that. And and Every now and then we go, but uh, only when I have appointments and stuff. Yeah, that's authentic but, Mexican, uh, right? Not Americanized yes, Mexican. Yeah. No, that's right. 
that's authentic. But so, uh, I'll tell you what, I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. I, I missed that. But you know, my wife, my wife is uh, is white, and and uh, throughout the many years we've been together, you know, she's learned to make uh, tortillas by you know from scratch. She makes, you know, very good food. You know, she's learned the hard way you know, by trial and error and she did it just because of me good you know and uh she uh has really tried to make my life better but uh uh getting back to, to my grandparents i tell you what i i think about them they've been gone since the 70s uh and i think about them every single day mm. you know it's like i don't know what i did to deserve such a you know uh a good hand in life, you know, uh, it was difficult, but I was very lucky and I would do anything for one more day with them. And, uh, Amen uh that. you know, people say, yeah, people say that a lot. I know but I, you know, when I go visit, uh, uh, family in Texas or the kids, you know, our kids live in, in Texas, uh, I always go by the cemetery and I spend, you know, time seeing everybody and, and uh, just think about all the things that they did for me. And uh, I I am so grateful, you know, at my age, uh, I'm hoping that one day somebody will think the same of me. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, but Absolutely. anyway. Uh, so yeah. th- tell me quickly, you had mentioned the only two that are, are still alive. Did you say it was your dad and your aunt? Yes, they both, yes, and they both lived in that same town in Texas. Do you and, t- keep uh, in touch at all with your dad or no? Yeah, you know, this is a funny, this is, I do. And here's the reason it's, uh, I didn't, you know, growing up, I didn't talk to them for about 20 years. And and there was a time uh, when I, we were here in Duluth and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, I wonder if they're still alive, mm. you know, and uh, I said, do you have anybody's phone number? She 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 had my sister's number, and uh, she called, and right away they contacted me. And come to find out, they were you know retired, but they were having a a really difficult time uh, making it financially because the kids that uh, they had three other uh, children after me, oh, okay. and they raised them okay, but. Uh, Make a long story short, we ended up uh, getting them on their feet. It took us five years uh, to get them on their feet. And uh, uh, even though the, my siblings live right, one of them next door and two in the same small town, they don't really uh, look out after them uh, like they should. So, like, I'll call and check on them, you know, like, on most days and we'll talk Spanish, you know, for five or 10 minutes. And, and if he needs anything, instead of going next door or asking one of the kids, he'll call us and we'll do what we can. So do you uh, have a relationship with your brothers and sisters? I assume they came some, you know, many years after you did. Is that true or no? Yeah. they No, they they came like, uh, I think it was two or three years after me. Okay. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't have much of a relationship with them. Uh, you know, 
every now and then I, I'll get a, a a call or something like that. But it, but I would like to say this is like uh, I know this is the next uh, segment, but uh, I, I I was home on uh, leave one time and uh, and the the brother that followed me, the one they had after they gave me away, uh, I was in Houston seeing an aunt and uncle. And I just got there, and my brother drove up. He was very young. He just got married. And uh, I was kind of saying, hey, you know, what's he doing here? And, and he came up to just just to let me know that uh, because I had, I was in the Army, that uh, he could not uh, ever have anything to do with me or associate with me because wow. and, you know, there were Jehovah Witnesses now. Oh. See, they... They had been witnesses for, I guess, the whole time. I didn't know. And uh, and they were to tell me that I could not, you know, don't contact them, you know, wow. don't. And I thought, okay. So they were just telling me that, hey, uh, you're no longer, you know, in our in our family. So just uh, thought you need to know. So in case you wanted to stop by and, and visit or something. You wow, know? that's just incredible. And so did, did your yeah, grandparents have a hand in raising any of the additional children also? Not them, no, no. Not my siblings, you mean? Yeah, like your, your brothers oh. and sisters that came after you. I know no. you were raised by, but I, I'm assuming you no. were raised by your, your grandparents, but your dad was, um, I assume it's your, your father's parents that raised you, right? Yeah. And they, yes. he lived in the same house with you, so he... You know, even though your for, grandparents raised you, he was still living with you there. Is that correct? For a short for for a short time, okay. you know. And then he went on, and uh, they got married early. But he was gone out of the house. But I tell you what, there were other. You know, this is this is a good part. There were I had other cousins that came to stay with us, and we would all sleep on the floor because you know we were like already say in the seventh or eighth grade. You know, say they were having problems at home with the you know. Their their mom or dad or something, so they'd always come and stay with us. And some stayed for years, some hmm. you know for months. But you know there was always somebody else on top of me staying there. You know, so their house was already always open, and and they would feed you know everybody. So yeah. you know, my grandfather back in those days, uh, he would buy uh, like these fifty pound bags of beans and potatoes and. You know that's how they shop, wow. and and whoever needed it, if they came, even friends of the girls, they come to visit or something, or even friends of the boys, they were all welcome to eat, huh. and uh, they were really generous. Uh, but no, they they did help raise uh, other people. There was one in particular that uh, they helped raise. Uh, he was closer to my age, and uh, he. Uh, he passed away early on, but uh, I don't know if you remember this day. But back in, back in the you know the fifties and sixties, you know, you, uh, somebody passed away in your family. You know, they have a wake at their house. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that's the only that's the only uh, way that we did we did it. Everybody who passed away would would always have tons of people come over the house and all that, but. I think the first time I remember going to the funeral home was when uh, uh, I think it was my grandfather. 
My grandfather passed away first. And uh, uh, the Red Cross got a hold of me. And I came home and, and I remember walking into the, you know, flying into Houston and, and I got to the, to the uh, funeral home and it was packed with all these people and, and uh, somebody whispered in my grandmother's ear that I was coming. See, I was never allowed to come home to my, to, you know, off the leave unless I was in full uniform. My grandfather and my grandmother wouldn't allow that. I could change afterwards, but not until they saw me in uniform. Hmm. So uh, I was in uniform, and uh, my grandmother got up, and of course, all these aunts and uncles that we had, all their kids were there, and uh, she runs up to me, this little lady, and she hugs, and she's, she's uh, crying so hard, and she goes, you know, she left us, we're all alone. You know, because it was just the three of us for the you know most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, we were so close. And and even though she had all these kids, uh, she she said that to me, and I'll never forget it. You know, she we're all alone, mm-hmm. and uh, but that lady was remarkable for being such a small, tough lady. You know, and. One thing I learned too is that you know we never went to a doctor or a dentist or or anything like that. You know, it, my first time was when I went into to the military, wow. and uh, that that was the only time I ever got to see a dentist or I got some glasses and all that. But uh, uh, you just couldn't do it. But uh, they, but but they, my grandmother knew how to do all these remedies because I see my grandfather's back was really sore from working on the oil fields because there was a time too that he also worked for the railroad. I think that was earlier on, and she would do things on his back with the candle and the glass and all kinds of stuff, you know. And uh, you know, she, everybody that was sick, she had some kind of remedy to help them. Wow. And that's how that's how we made it. So everybody did, you know, everybody did good. So, uh, but we survived, you know. That's amazing. It's an amazing story, Domingo. It really is. I mean, and and you know mm-hmm. that, and that's all. <laughs> just as a child before growing up and actually getting into the military. I mean, that's that's yeah. it's amazing yeah. to me. So, uh, what eventually ended up, um, you know, obviously. You worked since you were a young child, right? And it wasn't, you know, it was just because of the fact that you needed to to work to help contribute to the family and to to help make ends meet. And so, like you said, from picking cotton to, you know, pecans and selling stuff, you know, at the bus station. I mean, it's an incredible story. And I, I mean, if anything, like you said, it, it made you who you are today, and it, it made you respect hard work and dedication and loyalty and, and those things. And so I'm sure yeah. that was an amazing foundation as, as difficult as you had it. And, and in your own mm-hmm. words, you didn't think you had it that bad and you didn't think it was anything that any other kid didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You thought that was normal. That's, that's true. I thought everybody did that. You know, I thought, you know, that's just the way it is. And I didn't think, you know, Hey, I don't want to be doing this as, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. This is too hard. Or I thought, I thought everybody's family was out doing the same thing we were. I didn't know any better, and I didn't care to, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what we did as a family. And uh, I wouldn't change a thing, nothing. I love it. 
you know, that's, you know, that, that's a testament <laughs> of who you really are, Domingo, and you should be proud of yourself because uh, you're 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 the, the American dream, man. You're a true American hero, my brother. I I really mean that 110. percent I admire you. Um, I look up to you. So. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really do, Jay. Yeah. Well, I you know, uh, I, I, uh, I, I always want wanted to do something to to honor them because, you know, they didn't get any any accolades or anything. You know, they just felt like uh, uh, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And one more thing is like my aunt. You know, she she is the uh, you know, up there in age, and of course she's struggling now, but she, it wasn't that long ago we were having a conversation because I called, I, I was trying to find out uh, uh, where about in Mexico my grandfather, my grandmother came from because I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Even though we'd go to visit there, I spent a lot of time in Mexico as a kid. I didn't know. And, uh, but the one thing that came out of that conversation was, you know, she was still, talking about she says you know they don't make men you know they're they don't make men the way that they used to said my daddy was a man that's exactly Mm -hmm. what she said said my daddy was a man's man he worked hard and during the depression when people didn't want to take jobs for for not you know for very little he 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 felt that he he had to that he it was best to get something instead of trying to get it for nothing yep. and he worked and he worked and he worked and uh he took care of uh uh everybody that he could he did a great job he fed people he bought in bulk and he was a man's man and my mom was a a woman's woman you know so there'll never be two people like them again Amen and that. you know that really yeah, she's ninety, and she's she's still thinking of them as my mom and daddy. You know, they were they were they were great. They were hard. You know, they they'll never make them like that. And and I agree. I agree. I too. really really do. It, it was like they were amazing people. It's like I don't know what else I can do. You know, to keep you know their legacy. To me, their legacy was what they did for us. And. Uh, I don't know anything about honoring people other than being able to talk about it. Cause I don't, you know, this, this, you know, I think this story has never been really told. I, I've told the one other person a little bit about it. Uh, as we talked, uh, from Sparta, you know, how we have those zoom calls mm-hmm. and, uh, there's only, you know, you know, him, uh, Dennis Humphrey, mm-hmm. and uh, we did a Zoom call, you know, every now and then, and and uh, he uh, started recording uh, when I talk about stuff like this, and uh, but he's the only one I've ever said anything about it to, you know, and and look at how old I am. It's like, you know, it's been in me all these years, and I didn't know what to do with it, you know, and. Uh, well, I'm honored. I'm honored to that you're sharing it with me, Domingo. I really am, and and like you said, I, you don't know how to honor them. I think you're doing that right now. I really do by talking about it and 
Um, if I were you, I'd scream it from the rooftops. I'd tell anybody who was willing to listen about how great your grandmother and grandfather were and what hard workers they were and what they meant to you yeah. in your life. Cause that's, that's really what molded you. That's what made you who you are today. And, uh, there's nothing, nothing at all to, to, uh, either be ashamed of, or, you know, understand that, Hey, you may not yeah. have had it all, but you thought you did. You didn't realize it. Right. I right. mean, uh, and, and yeah. so that, that to me is worth a, a million words right there. Yeah, I, I I was never ashamed of anything. I, like I told you, I was I I was angry because they made fun of me for the things that I didn't have, and uh, you know, you know, uh, they did the very best that they could, and they dressed me the best way that they could, or, or the best way they knew how, yeah. and I thanked them. I'll thank them to this day for that. You know, I don't, I didn't need what uh, uh, cost back then, maybe $20 for a pair of pants. I don't pay that much for a pair of pants today. (laughs) I'm very frugal. I'm very frugal. I shop thrift stores and stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot today, but I, I cherish what I do have, you know, you know that's, you know I've been blessed to 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 meet the right people at the right times in my life. You know at, after that, and uh, but it took many years to get there, and now that's why I think so much of of what you've done for me. You know you don't understand, you know why I say the things I do to you on our phone calls sometimes because uh, I have I don't have that many uh people in my small world that that i feel care about me that's just what i that's those are my insecurities and and my uh uh i guess i don't feel like i'm worthy of a lot of things but uh uh i'm learning to to work on myself when it comes to that you know because i i know I, i think i'm a good man you know, and uh, you absolutely I, are, I, and and I, I'm proud to say I, I look up to you, buddy. I mean, I really do, and I know you don't want to hear that, or may, maybe you do want to hear it, yeah. but you just don't understand it or comprehend it. But um, Domingo, me and yeah. you now have been friends for a number of years, and and you've always inspired me, man. I mean, it's um, it's an honor for me to to be talking to you today and to be doing this podcast, and and you and I have talked about, you know, when the timing is right and you're ready, I want to have you on our uh, on the TV show too, and and I want to I want to be able to to document as much of this story as we possibly can and the TV show so that your heritage, your grandfather's, your grandmother's legacy, your siblings' legacy, your your aunts and uncles, all that stuff lives on forever. And so that's that's the reason why we do what we do. And so it's an honor for me to know that in, in your small group of people that you know and trust that I'm one of those individuals because um, – I mean, it's because of of men and women like you, Domingo, that that molded this country into what it is today, and gives me the opportunity to do what I get to do, and that's to honor these men and women who provided our freedom. Because uh, that's that's exactly what you did, and you should be proud of that. And and don't ever forget it. We we as Americans love you. Well, thank you. I I do need to hear it, and uh, I I just don't know what to do with it, but uh, it means a lot. Well, a lot. Thank you. 
Good. Yes, sir. Good. Well, I know we've got a lot more to cover here. Um, I want to just ask you real quick, um, Domingo, what led you into the military? At what point did you realize that, hey, I, I need to go into the military? Obviously, Vietnam was starting, and I know you enlisted. You weren't drafted. So can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I had, a, I had a cousin that was staying with us, and he was like a year older than me, and uh he did, you know, he wanted to go and uh, he he enlisted and uh, he went on and, and of course he ended up there and that that's why it's, that's a very difficult, I, I won't talk about things, but I will talk about this, you know, he didn't make it back, he didn't make it and uh, I, I, I said, I want to, I want to go and uh, you know, if you, as the picture I sent you, I sent you that picture for a reason. You know, I I was very young, and I remember uh, when I enlisted. My aunt, the one that's living now, you know, her husband had been in the war, and uh, uh, I believe it was Korea, and uh, he was a Marine, and he thought, yeah, this would be good for him, you know. You know uh, she she says, but he's just a baby. Look at him. He goes, he'll be fine. But my grandfather sat me down and said, if, if this is what you want to do, uh, you know, I'll give you my blessing. But you know, this is what I'm gonna tell you now. It's like he said, I want you to remember a couple of things for me and and, and do the best that you can. He said, he said one. Don't ever let anybody know what you're thinking. Don't ever show fear. You know, never cry. And uh, I can't think of the other two, but it, it was along those regards. And uh, oh, never quit. And what he meant was like, if something happens, you know, just keep fighting no matter what. And uh, And the hard part, uh, for me, was that uh, I broke all those rules. I, you know, I didn't quit, but I, I cried. I, you know, I, you know, all the things he told me not to do, I, I did, except for I didn't quit. Well, and, you know what? I mean, and, and that's honorable, um, Domingo, that, that one, just that you admit it, but two, that, you know, obviously back in those times, uh, things were much different. But, um, the you know, I understand where he was going with that conversation and discussing this stuff with you. But um, the reality is, is um, there's two things. It's OK to hurt and it's OK to cry. And there's a, a song that talks about that. But that's the reality. It's OK to hurt and it's OK to cry. And you got to pick yourself up, man. There's There's got to be a release. You know what I mean? You have to release some stuff along the way sometimes. And if it if it means crying versus anger, um, I'd rather have you cry for 24 hours then yeah. then have anger and, and have have you do something you know that you'd regret somewhere in the future so um you yeah. know it's it's uh you you lived a hard life and and this was before the military I, I can only imagine what it was like life in the military we're gonna we're gonna yeah. talk about that but um yeah is there anything else regarding your childhood before we move on we're gonna take a short break but then after that we're gonna talk about life in the military but anything more about your childhood that you'd like to share or uh, I think I, I did pretty good. I'm sure there's a lot. I know there's a lot of things that I left out. Uh, just cause I, I can't think of every, sure, of, sure. of everything, uh, but, uh, 
but I'm sure, you know, hopefully one day I'll get a, uh, an opportunity to, to, to fill the gaps in, you know, mm-hmm. down the road sometime. And uh, there's, there's a lot to that life. Uh, but uh, we can move on. And uh, I, I, I think I'm good. Great. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Domingo, uh, learn about his his time in service and uh, the sacrifices that he made uh, for our country and on the battlefield in a a time when it was very unpopular. It was a very unpopular war and, uh, you know, he he endured. And so uh, we'll be right back. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our one day of giving back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. And we're talking to Domingo Martinez. Uh, Domingo, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. It's, uh, man, we've only gotten through segment one and I'm already, <laughs> it's just an honor to know you, brother. I, I really don't know what else to say except it's an honor. And uh, again, thank you for being willing to share all this information with, with us and our listeners. Yeah. Um, um, I know Talking about your time in the military is difficult. Uh, I knew I know you you were in Vietnam and uh, you served in the DMZ, the demilitarized uh, zone uh, near Korea there with the Second Infantry Division as a patrol leader, and uh, you, you ran many patrols for thirteen months. Um, you know, share as much or as little regarding the military as you're comfortable sharing, but um, I just want to make sure that you understand that. Uh, you know, we, we honor you for your service and sacrifice. And I know it's still difficult to this day for you to talk about some of those things. So again, just share whatever you're comfortable yeah. sharing. Yeah. I, I, um, I'll, I'll share, you know, when I went to, to the boot camp, I, to me, it wasn't like, you know, you go and you're scared and everybody, you know, I was young. <clears throat> there was a lot of people that were, just as young, but there were uh, some that were older and there were prior service too. But to me, it was like when uh, we got there, you know, and, and of course they, they, they make sure you get there like in the middle of the night and you stay up all night filling paperwork and stuff. Well, you know, to me, and then, and then they take you to supply where they issue all these, you know, uniforms and boots and all these new stuff. And to me, it was like, oh my God, you know, I got, I got two pair of boots and shoes and suits. <laughs> Christmas and for you. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. That's where my mind was. I wasn't afraid of what was coming. I was just like so thankful, like, oh man. But then, you know, you get into boot camp and you go to the training and all that, and uh, I just went. With, I didn't even shave at that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting in the you know, first day when they inspected us. He looked, he said, oh, my God, you know, back then they could put their hands on you. They cuss at you. They do all kinds of things. And uh, my first shave was from a drill sergeant. You know, he ran me up and uh, back up to the third floor where I was at, you know, early. It was still dark out. He saw I had peach fuzz. And uh, he shaved me and 
made me do all kinds of push-ups and stuff and talked out, you know, talked about me for a long time. But uh, I thought that was, you know, uh, looking back now, I thought it was, it, it was hilarious. But back then, you know, that did scare me some, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but the training and everything, you know, I was fit. You know, I was I was maybe 125 pounds at the time, and I could run and do everything. So that was okay. But it got a little bit more difficult when I got to uh, to advanced infantry training in Fort Polk. Now it got pretty pretty hard there. They call it Tigerland, you know, for obvious reasons because when you you know, people that were being uh, uh, trained to go overseas, you know, that's where they went. So <clears throat> I made it through that. I did good. Uh, the training, I, I picked up everything real good. I was good with weapons. I was good with uh, uh, my forte later on became uh, uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. Hmm. And uh, I, I don't know why, but it's just something that I learned really quick. Because I remember going through the gas chamber for the first time when I was a basic, and I came out, I was just as scared as everybody else uh, going through that. And I came out with the runny nose and and the snot coming out and everything else. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, I don't ever want to do that. But then years later, you know, once uh, I was in a regular unit, I was running that. You know, I ended up running the a gas chamber, you know, like it's part of my, uh, as one of my extra duties, but, you know, bypassing that first, um, uh, deployment, uh, you know, it, it was one of these things that, that a lot of people that they go, they, they, they talk about it and they talk about everything that they do everything they did, everything they endured. And and for some people, it helps. But for me, I I never did because I did it one time, and it was to a psycho- psychologist or a psychiatrist in uh, Minneapolis, VA. And uh, just, a, just the way I, you know, I wanted to, to talk about it uh, only because he was asking me to talk about it, and it was a, like our third session, and I was trying to hold off, and finally I broke down, and, I, and we talked about it, and then he, it was like no big thing to him, and he made comment about some things that uh, uh, maybe he didn't uh, believe or something. He's, he was a young man, and uh, I came home that day, and uh, I, I tried to kill myself. And I thought, uh, I don't, I don't ever want to, you know, talk about that. I don't want to ever, you know, like when I, when I go to the wall and and help the young people today, I always tell them, I don't like saying the name. I don't ever want to go back there. I smell stuff, I see stuff, I hear stuff. You know, why do why would I want to re-experience that? Mm-hmm. Now for me, now for me, that's how I deal with it. People talk about it, I don't. And uh it it's just one of those things that 
I'm afraid that it will it will set me. That's the only thing has ever sent me to taking my life. Hmm. And I I avoided with the vengeance because I don't want to take my life at this point. You know, it's uh I I I've endured a lot of things because of it. But uh when I came back, uh it was a difficult time, you know, no, you know, it was very unpopular, but I ended up staying in you know a lot of people do their time and they get out and that's it i i decided i wanted to stay in because i i signed up for four years and uh i ended up uh, uh going to a uh i believe it was the seventh infantry uh unit and no uh and then they sent me to i came down on orders after about 10 months uh it was a hardship tour they called it again you know, uh, to go to Korea. So uh, I deployed and I go to Korea and, and, and we're in this processing station, you know, and uh, I'm never been in 19, maybe 20, not 20 yet. And uh, all these people are processed. They're getting their orders to go to different places. Of all those people sitting there, who was the only one that gets sent up north? me and uh so i thought everybody said you know back then they were saying oh man i'm glad i'm not infantry i'm glad i'm not in you know you can hear all that talking you know i said that's okay <clears throat> and i was a little nervous and uh they sent the one jeep to come get me and they ended up crossing the Indian river and they ended up at this place called camp Greaves, korea and uh uh Propaganda. Of course, I was surrounded by rice paddies, and and propaganda was 24 hours a day I, on a on a speaker that you can hear from North Korea. We were close, and uh, I was not far from uh, Panmunjom, where they have the peace treaty agreements. And uh, all I all my job was uh, was to. Uh, going to battalion headquarters, they would brief me and they'd give me a little map and they'd tell me, you know, I want you to set up uh, ambushes at these locations at these certain times, you know, and, and we had procedure on how to do everything. And so that's what I did. And and uh, my other job that I took on was being the, the chemical, biological uh, guy. You know, I, I, I trained everybody in, in the chemical warfare and uh and all of that and i kept and of course i was they call it nbc nco or uh i wasn't uh, quite an nco as an east war at the time mm -hmm. but uh i remember uh my job was to make sure that all the uh, gas masks all the equipment everything worked in case we needed it and uh i remember I've been there for a few months, and uh, it was in August of 1976. And uh, I don't like I don't like people to, you know, I like people to take me at my word. But if you, but if anybody needs to look it up, go to go to uh, August of 1976. Uh, there was an incident where uh, uh, there was in family John. 
you know, they have a guardhouse. All it is is a yellow stripe that goes across this road. Uh, and there's a guardhouse on one side. It's the Americans. The guardhouse on the other side. It's North Koreans. Well, there was a tree that's that grown and and there were limbs that the Americans could not see from one uh, side to the next as good as they wanted to. So they started to shear the tree. There, there was a, a couple of officers and some uh, uh, other other soldiers that came that were shearing this tree. And the North Koreans ran up there and said, no, 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 don't touch it. Don't do that. Well, uh, the next day, they came. The Americans came back, and there was two uh, two officers. One was a captain, one was a major, I believe. Uh, and they had a crew to to shoot the tree, and the North Koreans had prepared to do something if they did. So when they went to shoot, uh, all these. Uh, North Koreans came and they uh, they attacked the Americans and these two officers were axed to death. Wow! And uh, and we had to, uh, you know, of course the horns went off and and we were not far from there, so you know we were on alert and and it became you know the skies. I mean, it was hours. You know, Washington got involved. Henry Kissinger showed up. You know, uh, it was a major, major thing. And the reason the reason that I will discuss that is because it was it was uh, a horrific thing that happened to these two guys. Other people were hurt, but these guys uh, were asked to death and they one died on the spot. The other one died uh, when he was medevac on the way. And. Uh, it uh it's called you know you can look it up as axe murders 1976. uh anyway all of us were involved in that and we were when you're stationed that far up north you know you're you're briefed and you're told you know hey, look if anything ever happens here you know everybody has uh these areas that you go like to defend and uh all you are is, is like, all you can do is slow them down. There's no survival rate here if anything should ever go down. And so you live with that. You know, you have young men that have to live with that in the back of their mind. But, of course, they don't think anything's going to happen. But it did. Uh-huh. And uh, so you're thinking all this stuff. But but uh, I noticed that a lot of the, the – uh, Soldiers that weren't that good, you know, that they were just kind of lax and they hated it there. And, well, they became really great soldiers. They stepped up to the plate mm. and they went to work. You know, we were all, you know, uh, in our defensive areas. And and what ended up happening was that uh, Kissinger wanted to attack. And, of course, the president said no. And... They went and uh, we got a detail. I think it was the Alpha Company, you know, got the decent half truck with machine guns and a, a bunch of us. And uh, we went there and uh, the tree was actually just shut, cut down. And uh, nobody attacked us or anything like that. But it was uh, probably 
one of the uh, next to, you know, being some, you know, my first deployment. That I said, what, what the hell did I do to deserve this? Right. I was in a situation like that again. But, you know, the patrols itself was scary enough because it was, you know, it was all live. Mm-hmm. You know, and the one thing, the the reason that I will bring uh, talk about about that deployment is because the people that go there, that went there, uh, they don't get credit for having to put up with live fire. They, you know, uh, it, there was you know they they got combat pay, but people die there all the time. People died there all the time during those days. Uh, you know, you could be asleep. We lived in Quonson huts where in the wintertime it was so cold that that you had uh, a five-gallon can of diesel, you know, and that heated the whole Quonson hut or that was it. And when it went out, nobody wanted to get up because it was so cold. And uh, But in the summertime it was so hot, you know, that you just lay there and sweat till you went to sleep if you could. But uh, in those days, you know, people were, you know, they died, you know, on patrols. There was a lot of death there. You know, you could go from year to year, you know, if you were to look it up and see how many people died, you know, every year on the DMZ. You know, you could be asleep and then a grenade would go off in between the quantum huts or you know, things just happen all the time, huh. and nobody knew a thing about it. Yeah. You know, even when I got, even when I got back from there, you know, nobody knew anything about anything, and uh, and I just stayed quiet. And I think if I ever get a chance, you know, those guys need to be recognized. Absolutely. But there are books out. There are books out that uh, uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, soldiers that were there after me that wrote books about the DMZ and I have a copy of those and uh uh I've read I read through through them for the most part, you know, uh and uh they tell the absolute truth, you know, it was a hard 13 months. But you know I I had uh I had the benefit of of, of being young and experienced at that time, and uh, I remember getting off a of patrol one morning, and I was at E4, and they uh, they said, "Hey, sorry," he said, "They need you to uh, to go to battalion headquarters. They they need you to uh, go before a board." I said, "For what?" I said, uh, uh, "I don't know. They just want you to go before a board." So I went over there, all dirty and everything, as early in the morning, and said. Uh, uh, Special Martinez, we just wanted to make this a formality. He said, uh, you know, we're promoting you to Sergeant E5. And I was promoted in the field pretty much. Wow. You know, so I went, so they sent me back to to my unit and I went to formation and they pinned Sergeant Stripes on and that's how I made Sergeant, you know. And, uh, and then I left there and uh, I, I, when I left there, I think I ended up back at the seven in California, and I re-enlisted, and I went, I went to the 25th Infantry in uh, Schofield Barracks, and 
there, you know, it was just all, you know, training and, and, uh, we were gone a lot, you know, like I was sent to, uh, New Zealand to, where the whole battalion was to do cold weather training. And, uh, it was all, you know, the training for infantry was never easy. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but I noticed that by the time I got there, I was I was still in pretty decent shape. But it around I was around twenty three or so, and I, you know, I was already starting to have uh, uh, physical problems. You know, like I didn't, you know, I was always a real a runner. I ran a lot. I did a lot. Never lifted weights or anything, but I gained some weight because I had to because those rucksacks are heavy. Mm-hmm. You know. We had those old rucksacks, and everything that we had was heavy. And uh, by the time I told my wife, by the time I was 24, I felt like a like an old man. Hmm. And so I was at uh, Schofield Barracks for four years, and and from there I went to like Northern Warfare School in Alaska. They sent me to that, and uh, that was a really tough school. Uh, but I think. Uh, uh, I did real good, you know. I, I I learned how to fight a war on skis. Never skied before, wow. you know. You know, and and what they do is they put you in this quantum hut in the valley. And what I loved about it was that it was all ranks, you know, from from a private on up to, you know, uh, a colonel or lieutenant colonel, whatever. But what I liked about it was they made it. The first day they tell you there's no rank here. Everybody's the same. You know, you don't have to say so or salute or anything like that. We were all one. We're a team. And they showed us how to do our skis and put them on and all that. And to get to the training ground every day, you had to, like, go sideways up this this big-ass hill. You know, and it took me two or three tries the first day to get up because I kept falling down. But eventually got up. And they showed us how to walk and and do all kinds of stuff. And eventually, I was skiing. And by the time that you're done, you know, you're actually on a mission. You know, like uh, you know, you play a, a war game, and they tell you, you know, uh, what you have to do to survive or to pass the course. And uh, of course, I had a great team. And uh, and as cold as it was, man, but we did it. You know, we made it. Uh, I think there's a, a friend or a mutual friend of ours that went to the same school. His name is Dan Jarvis. He went through that uh, years after me. Uh, that was in the 70s still uh, where I went. But uh, I did very well with the 25th. They had this thing that they uh, asked me to do one day. It was called, you know, hey, hey uh, Domingo, uh, when you go, before this board is called, uh, you know, for NCO of the month. I said, okay. So I go before this board and they ask me all these questions and, you know, about weapons, about tactics, map reading, uh, current events, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of tech, you know, uh, about being tactical. I mean, whatever subject that had to do about the military, they would ask you about. Well, I just, I, I won, you know, and, and then I, then you keep going to, to the battalion and then to brigade and, you know, they kept doing that over and over and it kept getting harder and harder, because it was for the month and then it was for the quarter and then it was for 
the year, whatever. But make a long story short, uh, Jay, it's like I was going to, you know, at the very end, I was going against uh, like first sergeants, sergeant majors, and I was uh, I was on the on the list to make E six, but I was still in E five, and uh, and I at at the time I was uh, when that last board was convening, I was on the Big Island training every year. We train with the Southern Special Forces Group, and uh, I had got to know them because we've been doing it for three years already. And uh, they uh, called and said, hey, we need to mingle back for this board. And I had to put on my my uh, dress uniform on and all that kind of stuff. And, and, they, and I was brought back. And uh, two of those guys from the Southern Special Forces Group, one of the first, helped me get ready. And they kind of grilled me on some things and stuff. I go up there, I do it. I I I feel like I did good, and we go right back to training. By the time I got back, there was word that I had won. Uh, I was uh, awarded the the uh, 25th Infantry Division uh, NCO of the year for wow. the entire division. That's amazing. And and uh, I I thought, wow, that's that's great. <laughs> You know, it didn't hit me, you know, because I was training and they were, but, but the guys that I was training with, you know, my, my unit and those guys that, you know, we saw the same group every year and they were just, you know, partying and, you know, they had beer and we were under a parachute that night and they were just so happy for me. And, uh, I get back and it was during this, uh, I forgot what it was 70 78 or 70 I think it was 78 it was a birthday or something of the of, of the army it was a big thing and they were having this this uh this uh dinner you know celebration and and they were gonna have uh uh this medal of honor guy come up there uh NCO and he was gonna talk and they had dignitaries and stuff and then they asked me to to talk and I was scared to death, Jay. Uh, you know, being around those guys, and uh, I got to go up there, and and they pretty much just introduced me, and I was I just said thank you, and I said a few words, and but that was my big moment, you know. Wow, that's something to be and, proud uh, of, buddy. That's for sure. I mean, that's absolutely an accomplishment. Yeah. Not many people can say that. Yeah, it was like that was my biggest thing, and then after that, I uh, I went through all that. I. I I was transferred to, to Fort Hood, and uh, that was toward the end of my career. Uh, when I was there, I was a section leader, and what happened, I, I'd never been around uh, APCs or tanks or anything like that, but uh, when, I was in, when I was in Korea, they had asked me if I would be willing to uh, learn how to use this this uh this anti-tank missile uh weapon you know so i could train other people you know and i guess i was supposed to do this on my spare time and so they <laughs> so i did i learned it's called the tow weapon system and uh uh it wasn't it hadn't been around that long and i learned how to do it and i trained people uh when i was in in korea 
as, as far as doing as well as doing the uh, the patrols. I even got to uh, do a live missile demonstration for a general there, wow. and uh, I uh, I was sick as a dog when I you know we had to travel away from the DMV to do it, and I was sick as a dog, and I had the flu or something, and I I remember being in the back of this deuce and a half, and I just was uh, I slept the whole time. We got there, introduced me to the general and other dignitaries, and we were in this big hill and then i saw a big valley and i couldn't even see the target you know with a naked eye and i got i got uh okay uh sarge anytime you're ready i got behind the the uh, scope and i could i i finally found the target it was a a tank uh that they had set there and i remember just putting the crosshairs on it and i said just remember your training because what happens when i I had never done a live fire before, huh. but they wanted to see it work. And I pressed that button, and it, all it did was go, uh, and then it popped. And it and the tripod just come, kind of came off the ground, and there was nothing but smoke in front of the the uh, my lens, and I couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden, I could see this this thing just going, you know, like going crazy. And I just kind of like moved my my uh, my lens over, and I put the, I just made the crosshairs right up on that thing, and it was like it's one of these things that was like uh, you can't miss really if 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 you got the crosshairs anywhere near that tank. And I got it right on the tank. That that missile was just going like everywhere. But I'd be damned if it didn't hit it right on the money. <laughs> and uh, everybody jumped up, and they sh- I shook hands. I went and got back on a deuce and a half, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but but then uh, when I got to Fort Hood, they had these they had these tools these tow weapons on these APCs, and uh, so I became a platoon sergeant there on the for the for the uh, tow platoon. And that happened to be the biggest, you know, we had the most people it, you had to have for that platoon. And uh, I did pretty good. I, you know, I learned, you know, about APCs and, uh, you know, I I did all kinds of uh, maneuvers with them. I had a great crew because I, uh, I was promoted to E6. And I thought, you know, my career, I was going to stay forever. But I started having problems with my hands where I uh, like say I, I, I had my M16 I always carry my M16 you know around the uh, the barrel and like if I if I was carrying it for any length of time I noticed that I couldn't write you know I my hand just shook a lot and I started having it got worse and I got worse well back in you know tell you, for those almost nine years I never went to a sick call, and they they discouraged it back then. You know, it's not like it is today, where something minor happens, go get it documented, go to sick call, uh, do all of that. Well, I never did. So, not the reason I didn't stay in was because of that hand, and uh, I, had, you know, everybody was thinking, okay, so it's coming up time, so. Uh, you know, I, my company commander talked to me, my battalion commander talked to me, said, Domingo, 
know, we can't lose you. Uh, you know, tell us what you what you want. And I said, you know, I would really like to go to Ranger School. He said, it's, you, it's done. Just, you know, when you realize, we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. But I didn't tell them about my hand. And uh, I thought I would be doing a, a, a disservice if I stayed in and I can't do my job. But nothing ever told me, why don't I say something and go to sick call? And uh, I got out, and that was the biggest regret I've ever had. Hmm. You know, I, I, uh, not, and that is something that I've never told anybody because everybody kept, you know, my other sergeants and say, Sarge, what is it? What's, there's something wrong. It's like you're running from this. I said, I'm not running from anything. I just, I don't know what it's like to have a job, you know, a civilian life. I don't know nothing about being a civilian. And, uh, I use that as my excuse but uh later on i did have surgery on both hands and uh i could have stayed in hmm. and uh finished my career but i didn't and uh i regret it i really did wow. i missed it a lot yeah. I, I missed i missed that way of life and uh but then i i went down into uh a big depression after that, and I guess that goes into what we're talking about next. So, yep. Uh, yeah. Well, that's but, that's pretty amazing. Do you do you actually remember your last day in service? I I do actually. I remember going through uh, the processing, and uh, I remember signing paperwork, and everybody still asking, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And I said, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I want to get out. And then uh, they asked me, what about, what about, uh, you know, like the guard or something, you know, you can go like, you know, so many days a month or a week or whatever. And I said, no, I don't want anything. And I signed the paperwork. And then when my last day uh, came, I remember just, throwing everything I own in the back of this old pickup I had and uh, driving away. And uh, I just uh, remember thinking, you know, I don't know, you know, what I'm doing. I, I hope, I hope I can, uh, uh, didn't make the, the wrong decision. And I know, I knew deep down that I had, but I, I didn't, I have regrets about why didn't I say something or why didn't I, you know, they might have, in my mind, if I'd have said something, they, they didn't want, they wouldn't have wanted me anyway. Huh. That's how I thought, because I was hurt. Huh. And uh, I, I drove away with a lot of regrets. And uh, I just drove off into the sunset. Well, tell you what, I drove all the way to Houston and I got a hotel room and I just stayed there you know, for a few days without notifying anybody where I was at or anything. And, uh, and then, you know, life is, uh, the worst years of my life were ahead, uh, for me. Huh. And, uh, and it, it, it almost cost me in my life. It cost me everything in the end, uh, for a while there. I mean, everything, 
it just uh, I I didn't exist. I mean, I that was all I did was exist. I didn't live. There's a saying that I that I read the other day to to, to some young people like at the wall said that that uh, many many people die, many soldiers die at 25, but you don't get buried until you're 75. Huh. And uh, and that was me. You know, uh, that's how I felt. It, it was like. Let's take a quick break. I, I do want to talk to you more about, you know, transitioning out of the military. I think it's important that we we discuss all that stuff. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. As soon as we come back, we're going to talk to Domingo about um, his transition out of the military and back into civilian life, how difficult it was for him. Uh, we'll be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. And we're talking to Domingo Martinez. Domingo, again, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and share your story. I know uh, you've got a hell of a story, and um, it's <clears throat> I know you, you shared a little bit as far as uh, your struggles as it related to, uh, you know, getting out of the military, getting back into civilian life, uh, finding a sense of purpose, that type of thing. So reintegration for many of our veterans I know is difficult, but um, I do want to talk about, uh, you know, your experience as it relates to getting out of the military. And then also, uh, I know you've already mentioned that you, you had yeah. a suicide attempt. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like as you got out of the military? I know you spent, like you said, a couple of days in a hotel room just isolating, but uh, what, what happened after that? Well, um, I ended up in, in, in Houston, and that was, uh, I went to stay with an aunt and uncle. I had talked to them, you know, ahead of time, and I said, you think I could, when I get out, you know, could I stay here till I could maybe find a job or something? And uh, they said, sure. So I, I wanted to, you know, just kind of like take some time to myself and, and, uh, and just just kind of deal with you know, it's a big change. That's all I've ever known was the military, mm -hmm. and um, I didn't know anything about civilian life. But but it didn't work out that way. Uh, I was there a couple of days, and and uh, my aunt, you know, was already saying, well, well, you know, well, Junior, aren't you gonna? They call me Junior. I said, Junior, aren't you gonna go out and look for a job or anything? I said. Well, yeah, I I am. I'm just giving myself a couple of days. Well, you're gonna have to get a job. You know, it it was there was no uh, you know no understanding of any kind there. You know, they just didn't get it. And uh, 
So I, I, I started going out and I, I put in for the police department, the, uh, be a firefighter, the post office, and, you know, those, those kind of jobs take time to even hear from it. So I ended up working as a security guard, you know, walking some parking lot in Houston, you know, for a little while. And I thought, man, this, this sucks, you know, this is, well, this is not, you know, I was in charge of a lot of people and a lot of things. And here I am, you know, uh, doing this for like five dollars and something an hour and uh finally uh, uh i got a call um from the police department and i went to take uh some tests and stuff and it was looking good and then i at the same time i got a call from the post office and uh I, and with well, the post office they would uh, be able to use my time and service to give me a leg up so I ended up going with them and, and I got hired on kind of quick and I started working, but I noticed that I, I was having a hard time just being around a lot of people. And, uh, I was a car you know, I was a carrier and I had to go in every morning and it was a confined area, you know, cause they had all these, uh, cases and it's where you put your mail out, prepared to go out on the street and all of that. And, uh, I hung in there, you know, for, I don't know, several months, but I started going down really, I went down really hard and I got into a big depression and I was going to work and I was like, uh, uh, I couldn't deal with the enclosement and, and all the people all around me all the time. And my only way of, of of dealing with it was when I got out in the street to deliver this mail, I was by myself. But then you had the people you had to deal with and, and all of that. And uh, I did this, Jay, for uh, many years. I worked at the post office. I quit because I couldn't take it. Uh, eventually, I stayed there for, for about a year. I quit. And then I got my job back. And then I quit again. Then finally, I I moved to San Antonio and uh, started working there. And uh, same thing. That was the only job I knew that I could get. And uh, I tried to be a clerk where I could be inside where everybody who was a carrier would leave. And there's only a few clerks there. I thought maybe I could handle this. And, and so I was struggling to fit in with society and and I didn't know what was happening to me, you know. I I didn't I didn't feel like I belonged in society. So when I was off, you know, I was drinking a lot. I I was drinking a lot of alcohol every day, and uh, I, and sometimes you know I drink before I go to work. But then I I uh, I got to a point where I didn't want. I never went to the VA for for nothing for many years. I didn't want nothing to do with it. And uh, I uh, went to a civilian doctor. It was a psych psychologist and he put me on all this medication. And uh, that made me like, uh, I was so screwed up. I was, I could, I wasn't in, in my apartment. And it was up 
in the bedroom. It was all dark. I stayed there, never came out, hardly ate, but I drank every day with the medication. And as as I started going down, uh, I'd call it going down this dark hole, I got I got deeper and deeper into this hole where as I would thought about stuff that I had gone through and and uh, I could hear things and and uh, I just kept drinking more and kept drink taking more drugs and and then uh, I realized you know I can't live like this you know and uh, so one day I I uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to uh, to get some help or I'm going to or I'm going to kill myself. You know, in those days, there was only the only decision I had to make was I don't want to kill myself. I just don't know when it's going to happen. Eventually, I just don't know when it's always in the back of my mind. That was my go to. If all else fails, this is what you're going to do. And uh, so I, I kept chugging along, you know, months after, you know, for months. And then uh, then I kept going to different doctors. And eventually I, I became homeless. And uh, I didn't care enough to go get help to, from anybody or to ask anybody for help. I just uh, didn't even show up for work. And I uh, didn't have a place to stay. I lost my apartment, uh, my vehicle. So, you know, I just stayed, you know, I felt more comfortable out in the street being lost amongst people that didn't know anything about me or didn't know me. And I stayed that way for a long time. Hmm. And then, uh, uh, and that, that was just the first time, you know, because it happened, you know, other times too. Uh, it just so happened that uh, I I forgot the exact year I I uh, I met somebody and uh, eventually we ended up together. You know, years later. But in the meantime, this person was starting to like help me. You know, like she wanted me off the street, and uh, at at that at that point, I wasn't ready. So I would, uh, you know, move from, you know, uh, I would sleep under bridges or culverts, uh, any place. I felt secure in a culvert. I felt, I felt secure. And even when, even later on when things got better, where I was actually in a, in a home or an apartment with, with my wife now, uh, Sometimes I felt like I just wanted to sleep under the kitchen table or in the closet or something like that. Hmm. And uh, it just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't getting it. I wasn't, I was totally I upside down with the way I'm supposed to. I didn't know how to live. And, uh, and because of that, I was frustrated and uh, I was pretty much defeated. I couldn't, so I didn't transition well uh, into civilian life, and and eventually I went uh, uh, with my wife now, and uh, we got together, and she got me off the street, cleaned me up, and I got my job back at a post office in San Antonio, and uh, worked there 
as a, a mail handler, you know, at the plant at nighttime. And I hung in there for as long as I could, but I was sick still. And again, I couldn't take it and uh, I quit. And uh, she said, you're not going to, you're not going to go homeless again. You're going to get help. And that's when I started going to the VA and, and, uh, and trying to get uh, formal, formal help. And that's when I uh, ended up talking to that uh, psychologist that uh, kind of, kind of pushed me. He, he, he broke my back. You know, you know how they say that's what broke my back. It's like talking to him is, is, uh, we ended up arguing about, you know, stuff and, uh, my, my military career and what was bothering me. And, and I think the one thing that he made the issue of, he says, you just talk, you just saying that to, to help you with the claim or something like that. So I don't even have a fucking claim. I'm sorry about that, Jay. No, I, okay. I don't even have a claim. I don't even have a claim. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about, but he just insinuated, you know, he was insinuating that I was saying things just to, to help benefit me financially. I didn't have nothing at that point. And I went home and and uh, tried to take my life. Huh. And if, if it wasn't for this lady uh, uh, being so so attentive to everything that I was going through, I wouldn't have never survived it. And she got me the help, you know, I got, uh, you know, she got the people there to help me, to take me in, to the hospital. And I stayed there for quite some time, uh, getting mental help. And, uh, she was there every day, every day for me. And, uh, but, that was just the start of uh, of a long healing process that I'm still working on to this day. But it's very difficult if you don't uh, reach out to anybody, then nobody's going to reach out to you to get help. You know, I hope that the younger people, if anybody is listening, that they could, you know, don't do what I did. I gutted it out. You know, I didn't know how to do anything or I didn't know to reach out. I just felt, you know, I'm supposed to handle this. I'm a man, you know, I, I need to take care of this myself. Mm. But like I said earlier, I had already made up my mind of, you know, I'm not going to live like this. You know, I can't live my life. Like there's nothing for me. And, uh, uh, as the years went on, I went to, all kind of therapies with the VA outside the VA, and I ended up going to get uh, somebody suggested there was a psychologist that suggested a psychiatrist. I'm sorry, that there's this thing that they do is electroconvulsive therapy, and it's supposed to help people with PTSD and depression and all kinds of things, and it was really a good thing. And and so we decided to go for it, and uh, it was one of the scariest things I did, you know, because. You know, I remember that first day, I, you know, because I had to be, in, I was in the mental ward, and they took me up this elevator, and they put me in this bed, and they put IVs on me, and then they, when they were ready, they took me into this really narrow room, you know, it's like, 
the doctors that were there, the nurses that were there, and the equipment that was there. I mean, it was all really like really too tight for me. And right away I was knocked out and I went through it. And of course, you're no good for a couple of days after that because I didn't know what was going on. And uh uh I went to several of those and I was I got out of the hospital and I was having to come in into uh the hospital to do it and uh there was a time that uh i went and i came out not so good my wife noticed you're doing worse now than you were you're doing worse now than you were when you went than any other time and uh uh what was happening was that they were putting it on the wrong side of my brain oh no and uh but the only way my wife, she wouldn't have started inquiring about it. And she was so upset with them that uh, after the 23rd one, she said, don't touch him. Don't don't ever call us. Don't do anything. And uh, I, I was starting to lose a lot of memory. I did lose a lot of memory. I still have lost a lot of memory. You know, I... I forget a lot of things. There's a lot of things that I have forgotten. And, uh, but she was the one. And, and then to find out that 2023 20, was unheard of as far as the amount of treatment that you're supposed to have, it was way beyond the norm. And, uh, we didn't know. We were just trying to get me better. And, uh, she, she took me away from that. But then, uh, and, uh, 2006, we ended up, uh, he, he is from Duluth, Minnesota, and I'm from Texas, but she was in, I met her in Texas, and we ended up coming back here because her mom was passing away, and when I got here, uh, I needed, because I needed, to, I needed to, uh, to get away, and we got here, and her mom did pass away, and, uh, uh the house that she was in uh was it was a quick claim deed, i think it's a quick claim deed to her to her and her siblings mm -hmm. and we decided uh she said did you like it here and i said yeah you know i like it here and so we bought the, we bought the house and paid you know like paid off the siblings and and that's the house that we live in today but uh what happened after that was that I uh, was like, when if anybody knocked on the door or rang the doorbell or whatever, I would hide. You know, uh, I I didn't go out at all. That's where I was telling you I was isolated even more. I mean, I would go out to the back uh, yard and uh, walk around there with the dog or something like that. But I never went to the store. I never, I, I didn't go with anywhere. And finally, after uh, years, she said, we have to do something to get you out. You know, you can't just be in the basement all the time. And she said, one day she said, can you, can you go with me to the store? 
grocery store is a cub about three blocks from our house and uh cub grocery store and she said look just go and be right next to me and when you can't take it anymore go back to the car I, I barely made it five minutes, I think, hmm. and I went back to the car. And uh, it took about a year before I was able to to go out and, and be okay, you know, uh, to be better. You know, it took that long. But she was what she did there was she made she made it seem to where it's okay, and uh, there was. It wasn't smooth sailing because there were incidences where she had to get in people's faces because they would uh, say things. Somebody said something to me one time when I was with her at the cash register, and and that uh, I just stood there looking, and she just protected me. Oh. And we went to the car. That kind of set me back, but I kept going. And after about a year, and then uh, one day she. Uh, she told me, uh, uh, you know, we're going to keep doing this and we're going to, you need to, to meet people and, and do things and, and go to the doctor. And, and I said, I'll, I'll try. Well, then I, I went into a, a real deep depression because I, it was kind of a lot on me. And uh, all I knew how to do was, uh, was like, uh, I would write all my feelings down, and it was all negative stuff. And I would go in the basement and just pedal around down in there. And then one day, I just gave up. And uh, I I tried to hang myself. And she came down, she came, and uh, she was already at the bottom. She was already at the stairs. I didn't know, but she didn't let me, you know, like, if she didn't see me, for a few minutes, she would go f- make sure I was okay. Hmm. And if she hadn't been like that, I'd have been gone either time. And and I always tell these young people that are willing to listen to anything I have to say is that I don't care how much you love your girlfriend, your wife, your parents, your pets, your everybody. I don't care how much you love them. When you get to that point, uh in your life, none of that matters. You know, none of it matters. I don't care how much you love them. You know, they say, if you love them, you won't do this. Well, sometimes you get to a point like I did. I got to a point where the pain was so much that I, none of that matters. And uh, I, I hate saying that because it, because you, I feel like I have so much love for my wife and my kids and my grandkids now that I uh, I would I don't think I could do that to them, you know. And uh, I survived, and I think I survived for a reason. And there had to be a reason that I, I made it this long in my life. And that's how I look at it. But the thing is that she surprised me one day after it was. Uh, a couple of years after that, she said, guess, guess what we're doing? She said, you're going to go on a fishing trip. And I said, uh, uh, no, I'm not. She <laughs> goes, oh, yes, you are. She had signed me up for, for take a take a vet fishing 
I never even heard of it. But she was always online looking for things that I could do, that I could be around people. And she saw this, and she put my information in and got it. We got accepted, and we went to the. I was scared to death. <laughs> you know, got through the hotel and everything, and uh, uh, and then I met you, and I talked to you for a very short time, and I thought, ah, oh, you gave me your card, and I think I gave you my information. I thought I'll never hear from him again. You know, that's that's really that's really what I told my wife. I said he was nice. I just don't think I'll I'll ever hear from him. But you had introduced me to somebody who had been to Sparta. And he was saying, you need to go. It's, it's a good program. And I thought, oh, okay. And I'd be damned if you didn't call a short time <laughs> later. And uh, it changed my entire life. Wow. Well, I, I'm yeah, so honored to hear that, Domingo. I really am. And yeah. I want to get into to life after that day that you and I met. Um, that's going to be our final segment here. But um yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how you and I met at uh, at our Take of That Fishing event. And I want to make sure that we honor your wife because she's absolutely a saint. Um, and and so uh, I think along your your journey of this life, you can you could probably you know point out a lot of the people who have you know played such an influential role in in your in your life, starting with your your grandparents and 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 now even your wife and and. I'd be honored to think that even I played a small, you know, part in that whole thing. But, um, you know, you've come a long way just in the time that I've met you. Uh, and, and I just can't wait to see where you're going to go from here. So let's just take a quick break. And as soon as we get back, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and talk a little bit more about what you're doing today. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Thank you. You got it. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our one day of giving back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. And we're talking to Domingo Martinez again. Domingo, thanks for taking all this time to share your story. It's like I said, it's amazing. I, I absolutely love listening to you and, and and hearing the the things that you've the sacrifices that you've made, but the the things that you've overcome more importantly. And I'm I'm so glad to to know that you're still with us today because it's uh, it's so important. You're a big part of my life, and I'm just honored to be able to uh, to to honor you and to document this part of your story. And as we close out here with the final segment, um, we touched upon it just before the break. But your wife is an absolute saint, right? I mean, uh, here's a lady yeah. who's, who took you off the street um, and and never gave up, right? How many people would have given up on someone like yourself right just said listen this isn't worth it i'm yeah. gonna go on and lead my life and you know i've tried and yeah. they failed and i tried again and they failed and i tried again and they failed and yet she just stood right by your side the entire way and so um i've never met yeah. your wife but i can't yeah. wait someday i'm gonna get to meet her and yeah. and i can't wait yeah it's uh she's amazing it's it's, it's like um I, I i did make i gotta say this about her it's like i did make this this comment to her one time uh, during these difficult situations, I said, "You know what? You, you know, you didn't sign up for this. You know, I don't even know why you stay or why you know 
you know, you don't have to do this. And she said, don't you ever talk to me like that again. And don't you ever say that again. That's a strong woman and, right uh, there. Yeah. And I never did. She goes, I'm here because I love you and I'm not going anywhere. And that was the end of that. I love so, uh, yeah. And then she, she had the audacity to, to put me in for take a red fishing in it. And it was, it was going to be something that, uh, like I said, I was scared to death. And uh, I remember that morning when uh, she drove me to to the place where we had to meet, and it was dark, and uh, you know we had to sign in. And I I kind of signed in, and I just kind of kind of stepped away and by myself. You know, I was by myself, and I was just looking at all these groups talking and thinking. I'm thinking, uh, what am I doing here? You know, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't be here. And then all of a sudden I got this, uh, I had, I had been in contact with someone that was going to be my guide or something. And he had given me uh, his cell and I gave him mine. And he called and said, Domingo, are you here? I said, yes, sir. I'm over at this place. And he goes, well, I'll be right there. And he came over to me with uh, another veteran and we, uh, we met. And he put me at ease and uh, had a great time cool. out there fishing. And and then uh, I, I I was out in the water thinking, I can't believe I'm actually doing this, you know. <laughs> and uh, But then it only got better after that. You know, we had the the, the lunch and the speakers and, and everything. And we, um, afterwards, I got to, uh, to meet you. Uh, and... I don't know how that came about, but I think I walked up to the podium where you had just finished talking and the end of every, the, everything was over and uh, ended up meeting you and I got your information, gave me a card and, and uh, you ended up, you ended up uh, calling me and uh, my little dog is going crazy. No worries. And, uh, yeah, and inviting me to go to Sparta, I, I thought, well, sure, I'll think about it, you know, and uh, I talked to my wife, and she goes, that'll be something that you need to go do. And uh, next thing, when I when I uh, finally agreed to it, and you said there were going to be some people contacting you, I mean, it was like all of a sudden I was getting calls from everywhere, and it was really great, you know, like all these people are, I help or trying to help me get to this place, and everybody was really nice to me, and and uh, I, I just wasn't used to that, you know. I I was thinking, okay, what's going to go wrong here? And uh, that was a big thing, you know, because like I said, I I never ventured out too far from my house, you know. Minneapolis was the furthest, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I I did and I I made the trip and and I uh, went to Sparta and I tell you what I you know when you when you're in a place where you're just so hungry to learn something that could help you that's that's how I was and uh, I was in but to make it uh, to make the the experience all that better was that there was a the first speaker that I heard was a young 
veteran by his name, uh, Jason Miller. And what he said stuck with me. And that's how I, I conduct my life today. He said, I don't care where you've been, where you serve, what you've done, what you've been awarded. What, I don't care about any of that. All I care about is that you're here because we all have mental health issues. We all need help, even me, especially me. And we're here to get help. That's the only thing that matters. And when he said that, I relaxed and I thought I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and he, for some reason, um, uh, he saw someplace that, you know, I had you no know, back issues and, and I had surgeries and stuff like that. And he made sure that I didn't do anything that would hurt myself. And he checked on me several times a day. Uh, he went through the training with me. I I learned a lot. And I thought, you know, there might be a chance for me. I think I think I think I can I can use some of this stuff. And I, if I apply myself, you know, in my own life, maybe I can I can make it a little bit longer, you know. You know, because at that time I still had in the back of my mind you know, if all else fails, this is what I'm going to do. But then that's slowly started throughout time, started fading away. Good. And uh, I uh, I really took that that experience. And every day, you know, those were long days there too. And every day I couldn't wait to get up to see what I was going to learn the next day. <laughs> and, but then again, you know, I, there were people, there was like, I don't know how many of us, there was a uh, 10 maybe. And, you know, they, they talked to each other and stuff. And I was still trying to venture off by myself, but they wouldn't let me somebody, Hey, Domingo, how are you doing today? You know? And there was this uh, veteran that sat next to me. Uh, and every morning he'd come in and he'd give me a hug. You doing all right today? I said, Yeah, I'm doing okay. And uh, and every day, I don't know why he did that, but every day, and and I got to thinking, you know, I think I'm gonna make it through this week. And uh, I eventually made it through the week, and I made some long life uh, acquaintances, some friends, you know, that we talked to, or they 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 kind of like uh, check up on me from time to time, but. There was two of us that uh, lasted. Uh, we started a Zoom call uh, every week for everybody that was there, and uh, sadly, one of the, the veterans that were that was there with us, you know, he did take his life uh, shortly after we got back, and uh, he lived out of Florida, and we we all took it very hard because we had all, uh, you know, you get close to people when in a short period of time when you're experiencing the same feelings and you're trying to get better and and we did different things you know we we did a the exercise where we went with horses one day and i remember him you know very clearly you know he was in my group and uh and he really was attached to a horse like all of us and we did our exercises and a lot of good things came of it and we thought that uh, we all thought we were 
uh, on the road to, you know, recovery or, or at least I start the healing, the healing process. And he just, uh, he couldn't hang on. Yeah. But, Unfortunately. Uh, and, 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 um, yeah, that's a sad story. Um, I, I completely agree with you cause I know the veteran that you're talking about and, and he was an amazing mm-hmm. individual when he contacted me originally for help. Um, he was at his wits end. I almost didn't want to get off the phone with him cause I didn't know if I'd ever speak to him again. And it's unfortunate right. the circumstances that surround his suicide. Um, and, and the one thing I can tell you, Domingo, is that, you know, you were a great friend to him. Um, he admired you. Um, and, and so this, the, the circumstances that surround his suicide were, were far outreaching from anything. He was on the road to recovery and there was a, a traumatic experience that happened in his life that, um, you know, myself that, you know, I, I'm not a combat veteran. I'm not a veteran at all, but, um, you know, the, the PTS that he endured for that specific event that happened after Sparta Project. Um, I don't know that a person mm-hmm. that that is, you know, not suffering from PTS would be able to have handled what he what he had to endure and and much less someone who's already in a weakened state, right? And and trying to to make right. ends meet with PTS. And for him to endure what he had to endure, um, you know, unfortunately he succumbed to the um to the demons and um and there was alcohol unfortunately involved too. And and we all mm-hmm. know that man, if we could have just contacted him or we could have gotten in touch with him, we I think we all could have saved him. But um that's that's unfortunate uh set of circumstances. We miss him dearly. We love him and and uh, we pray for not only him and his yeah. family, but um, yeah, that's that's a sad, sad day. Yeah. It, it's uh, yeah, it was, and, and but it, but it, but it, at the same time, it opens like my eyes too. You know, it's like uh, it. I, I shouldn't. Say, I don't know if I should say it, but it. it you know, um, it opened my eyes to a lot of times, a lot of things that I put my my wife through mm-hmm. and um and, and like i like i started to tell you earlier you know i i was a very bad alcoholic from a young age and uh i drank every day until it was lights out you know, until it passed out every day every single day and i but i was one of these guys that did it at home mm-hmm. you know and i never went anywhere so i i did it and and uh before i go too far i uh my wife suggested, she said, I think you need to get help. Mm. And I said, uh, I don't, I'm okay. She goes, no, you need, you need to stop. So that was one of the things that I did many years ago. I think it's been like 13 or 14 years back. Good for you. And I went to, to Minneapolis DA and she took me and checked me in. And I was, I got uh, uh, help for drugs and alcohol. And I told them I, I I can't I won't make it to the first day. I'm tell you right now because they said no drinking or or anything. But we were staying in the hospital, and I don't know why they were saying that. But I said I'll find some. And he goes, No, you won't. I said yes, ma'am. So they gave me this. They took me to this nurse, and she gave me some antabuse. And she goes, If you want to drink, you go ahead, but you will you will become very very ill. And you'll you'll never drink after that. And I don't know what it was about that lady or that pill, but I believed it. And I I didn't I never had a drink again. Wow. And and that was 
that was after all of that. I mean, I was there for 30 days and it was hard. I'm not, you know, and sometimes it still is, but it's been like, I don't know, 13, 14 years. I can't remember the exact amount, but I also had to stay there for another uh, 30 days for, for uh, it's called PPH for, for uh, PTSD uh, treatment and stuff. And uh, uh, that came and, uh, and I, I never had another drink, and that's one of the things that my wife pushed me to do, and I did it, uh, and it's, and I've been thankful for it ever since. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, mean, your it, wife is an amazing individual, let me tell you, Domingo, and I know you know that. Yeah, but... I, I, yeah, yeah she, she's, I got to give her credit, but, you know, I, I got to tell you, uh, take a red fishing is, is People have to understand it's more than just fishing, a fishing thing. It's more about, you know, veterans, uh, you know, the way you honor, the way you guys honor us veterans, you know, it's like, it makes me, you know, even me, I have a hard time. Like, I feel like I don't deserve anything. I feel like, you know, why me? Or I've always been like that. And I still am to this day, you know, but, you know, when you're there, yeah, I feel like, man, I feel kind of special today, you know? You know, they're, they're making this about me, about us, and just us, and, and they're thanking us, and I'm thinking, you know, there's something about that program that that brings out the softer side of me anyway. And, and so that's the one thing that, that I do accept, you know, uh, when they do stuff for me, because y'all have done so much for me, just letting me be a part of it. And, uh, you know, every time, you know, I've already put it submitted for September already. And, uh, <laughs> I love it. And, and, yeah. And, and I would, I did that myself. My wife didn't have to do it, <laughs> but, uh, it. yeah, you know, but, uh, to, to touch on something is like, you know, I love being in the infantry. It was the hardest job there was to me, in my mind, anyway. Uh, but it took a toll on my body, and uh, as time went on, I had to have uh, uh, several surgeries. This would be, you see, I've had uh, five back fusions, but uh, I've had both feet repaired, both hands, uh, rotator cuff. You know, and, and that to me was just wear and tear. And I have, I'm facing one more uh, I told you about, and I don't find out to the 29th on what day because I have to. Uh, uh, they've already, I've, I received it in the mail yesterday uh, the plan. They're telling me exactly what they're going to do to me. And uh, it's uh, the last one was quite extensive because it went into the front and the back. Mm-hmm. And this time again, they're going to go into the front and the back again. But uh, I, I'm hoping, you know, that uh, I can hold them off until after May sometime. But I don't know. Well, we'll see. And, and and that being said, you, you got to take care of yourself first, obviously, as far as your health goes. But um, yeah, and, and you're talking about a, a, a take about fishing event that we're going to do up on Vermilion Lake uh, with a handful of veterans. Um, well, we're going to take uh, take some vets out, get them out early this spring, get them out fishing. But 
you know, uh, for those people who might be listening who are interested in Take a Vet Fishing, uh, you know, there are nonprofit of the week on the show this week, but you can go to takeavetfishing.org and sign up for an event year, near you. It's uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, down in Florida, and uh, we we take our U.S. military veterans like Domingo out fishing, and it's just about a day of giving back and saying thank you to our vets, as Domingo had mentioned, and um, really it's just about camaraderie, right? It's about vets being around other vets, yeah. and then it's about uh, yeah. honoring our veterans and saying thank yeah. you for your service, and so... Uh, we do have that that event coming up in May, and all I'm going to tell you, Domingo, is if if for some reason you need to miss that because uh, of this surgery, I want you to have that surgery, and and I want you to know that uh, you and I are going to get out on the water together and and fish, and uh, you know it, it's going to be well, mm-hmm. as soon as you're healed and and able, uh, you you just say mm-hmm. the word, and and you and I will get out on the water. I, I promise you that. So if this if for some reason May doesn't work out for you, we'll, we'll we'll make it up to you. I promise. And then of course you got September. You got mm-hmm. the Lake Minnetonka event and Malax yeah. event in August. So we'll we'll make sure we get you, buddy. I appreciate that, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I told my wife, "Oh no, I'm going to miss that." She goes, "Well, I'm sure them Jill understand." Yeah, of course. Oh, she calls you Mister Garcetti. Oh, yeah. No, Jay, <laughs> Jay, for sure. Yeah, yeah but uh, anyway, uh, you know that's. Um, I have a lot, you know that uh, I've been under other programs too. You know, after Sparta, and, and uh, I did get off of a lot of medication uh, and depressants, but I do have a uh, a way to go because I have. Uh, this pain pump that I have uh, implanted that carries a, a fentanyl and uh, and it was morphine with it. And I've had it for over three years, about three and a half years now, and I've had problems with it where I've OD'd on it a couple of times. And uh, and once that was taken care of, I have, it hurts all the time. And and I uh, made up my mind that I want to have it taken out and I'm sure there's other ways I can deal with pain and uh, without having that in there because it is quite, you know, uh, to me it's painful because when I go get it refilled, you know, it's just a little bitty port that have to stick a long needle in there to pull it back up. Hmm. And uh, I do that every month and uh, sometimes every month and a half. And I'm thinking this time uh, I'm going to tell them, uh, because I got to go here in a couple of weeks, and, and I'm going to tell them I, I I would like to have it taken out, and uh, I I need to do something else for pain. Hmm. Uh, that's because uh, it it bulges out of my side, you know, and it's uh if I bump it or something, you know, it hurts, and it's always swollen up there, so I have to I have to deal with that. But uh, anyway, um. Well, we'll, I, we'll help you along close. those ways. You know that. So you lean on us and let us help you do some whatever it is that you need. Uh, you, you let us know. There's there's other things that we still have uh, that we want to work with you on as far as your in the healing process. And so you, you let us know and we'll help you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that because I, I remember, you, you know what I'm saying, uh, this year is going to be about you healing. That's right. And uh, and I, I believe you and... Uh, just talking to you helps me, Jay. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Okay. I, I hope that uh, that I uh, 
that I did good on this. I you, worried you about it. You did great, buddy. You did great. I'm honored to have you. Uh, before we end this, though, Domingo, I, I want to ask you two quick questions, and that's if someone mm-hmm. is listening right now and and they're struggling uh, with post traumatic stress or PTS, uh, what would you what would you tell them? I tell you, um, first thing they they need to do is reach out to someone. You know, uh, if they have someone they trust or they feel comfortable talking to, reach out to them. And if, you know, uh, if that doesn't do the trick, you know, just uh, go to go to a mental health provider or uh, just just don't try to do it on your own because it doesn't work. Yep. You know, it uh, it, you know, gutting it out like me, that was that wasn't very smart. But that was all I knew how to do. But, you know, there may be other veterans that uh, that have gone before you and experience the things that you're experiencing that could help you. You know, there's people that that have a lot of good information that could save you and can give you a better life. Uh, main thing to do is reach out and talk to someone. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't have to be anybody in your family if you don't want to talk to them. Find somebody, a friend, uh, a spouse, a girlfriend, uh, anybody. Mm-hmm. Just talk to someone about it. Amen. You know, and you know, uh, you're so right. Yes, sir. No isolation, right, buddy? No, no isolating, and and make right. sure you talk. That's the two things. Communication right. is key, and and isolation is absolutely not. Get out, get into the outdoors, and enjoy what God's given us out there. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Isolation will do nothing more than uh, create a, a bigger problem mentally for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just got to talk, uh, uh, announcing the day that I had all these surgeries, you know, but I, I'll be honest with you, you know, there's there's my, uh, I have physical pain and mental pain, and, and, and I'm going to attest to you that mental pain is much more painful than my physical pain. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that can can attest to that, that mental pain is quite painful. That's why you need to reach out and talk to someone today. And uh, again, you're, you're yeah. so right. Reach out, talk to somebody. There's help out there. There's organizations like ours. Take about fishing, Operation Healing Heroes. There's many, many of them, the 220 and uh saddles and service for equine therapy vet service dogs uh the sgb shot there's so many different organizations just contact us let us know we want to help um that being said any parting words uh again we thank you so much domingo for for coming on the show and and sharing your story with us is there anything last things you'd like to leave with the audience yeah i yeah i would i it's this is something i thought i would never do you know, because I'm, I'm a very guarded person, very guarded. Like I said at the first, you know, my my world is very small, and it's that way for a reason. You know, uh, uh, if you have, you know, any veterans that are out there that are listening, if you have something to offer that could help another veteran, you know, just do what I did. You know, if you get the opportunity, you know, talk to, you know, put it out there, you know, put out what worked for you, put out what didn't work for you so that other veterans at least have an idea of what they need to do to continue living, you know. It's not just about uh, 
living or we want a quality of life. We want mm-hmm. a better quality of life. And and that's something that uh, I didn't have for many, many years. And and at my age, you know, I had a birthday yesterday. And, and, and at my age, you know, I'm working on a better quality of life. And uh, uh, people like uh, like Jay and, and other organizations he's part of, they're, they're giving me that. And I appreciate it, and I thank you very much, Jay. Amen to that, Domingo, and happy belated birthday. Um, man, I'm so glad that we found each other, but that wasn't us. That was God that put us together. So uh, that was a yeah. your wife, and, and that, was, that was the sun, the moon, and the stars lining up the way they were supposed to, and, and that's the reason why we're all here talking about it today. And, and I can't say thank you enough yeah. for, for sharing your story, and uh, I look forward to, to fishing with you this summer. And again, Thank you so much. Uh, life's a journey. Sometimes life can be a struggle, but there's always something, someone, some organization out there that that wants to help. Uh, we talked about post-traumatic stress being the silent killer. Um, there are ways of healing. Again, reach out. No isolation. Make sure you're communicating with someone, whether it be us uh, or some family member, friend. Maybe it's a battle buddy. Uh, just make sure that you're not trying to do it alone. If you'd like more information on today's podcast or you want more information about Operation Healing Heroes or Take a Vet Fishing, visit our website, www.operationhealingheroes.org. And until next week, when we talk to another veteran and, and get their story, we hope everyone has a great week. Thanks so much. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is Take a Vet Fishing. We provide one-day group fishing outings to veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. The great outdoors has a natural healing power. Come experience the camaraderie and healing that one day on the water can provide. If you're a veteran living in or willing to travel to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, or Florida, you can sign up free of charge to our one day of giving back events. Visit www.takeavetfishing.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great.